everyone and welcome to Unbossed. We are indeed so glad that you are here and co-hosting today with me is none other than Mayor Mondale Robinson. Good Mayor, how are you today? It's a pleasure, it's Friday and I'm with Nina Turner. So what else can I ask for? Amen, I'm feeling the same way about you. And we have a very special show today because we're gonna spend some time in our final segments talking about the life and the legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. As many of you know, we're coming up on the King holiday. And so the mayor and I, we're gonna talk about that in a, in a deeper way. Also on the show, sadly though, we're dealing with some racist elected officials on the daily. We see you Wisconsin. Uh, it was uncovered by a watchdog group that $5 million was spent to create voter suppression legislation in the year of 2021. Many of us are still old enough to remember 2021. And Sam Bankman Fried is back in the news again, and this time he has a newsletter. So, first, we're going to Houston, Texas. Texans doing it again. I want you to watch this from January 9th. Tracking breaking news out of the NFL after just one season, Lovey Smith is out as head coach of the Texans following a season that saw Houston finish 3-13-1. Houston also lost out of the number one overall pick on Sunday after a win over the Colts and a Bears loss to the Vikings. Smith is the fourth head coach to lose his job this season, he leaves with three years remaining on his deal. Lovey Smith's firing was the second time in as many years the Texans have fired their head coach. Smith is a well-respected coach around the league. The year before, the Texans fired another black coach, and that was David Cully, after just one year on the job. Cully had worked as an assistant coach in the NFL since 1995, and the players he had coached were very happy when he landed the job in 2020. Lovey Smith was given one shot. David Cully was given one shot. This is a common thread for the Texans. Stephen A. Smith of ESPN has had, had enough, and rightfully so. Take a look. The Houston, Houston Texans organization are an atrocity. They are an embarrassment. And as far as I'm concerned, if you're an African American, and you aspire to be a head coach in the National Football League. There's 31 teams you should, you should hope for. You should hope beyond God that the Houston Texans never call you. Well, there it is. Stephen A made it crystal clear. And that's how a lot of black folks feel. And by the way, former Texas Texans owner Bob McNair, who passed away in 2018, once said this in 2017, speaking at a meeting between owners, team executives, and Commissioner Roger Goodell, Houston Texan owner Bob McNair reportedly said, quote, we can't have the inmates running a prison, end quote, in response to NFL players taking a knee during the United States National Anthem. Mayor, I mean, yeah, let's just dive into this right now. Listen, I, I will say I, I, I'm, I'm usually a, a hyper person myself. And, and Stephen A. Smith is the reason I can't watch ESPN because his, his energy, my energy will have me doing cockwheels. And plus I drink a lot of coffee. But <clears throat> I'll say the brother missed a point today. And that point he missed was he said 
the Houston Texans were atrocious. The entire NFL is. Um, this is not to let Houston off the record, but it's to say that this is par for the course. We're talking about a league that has no black owners and 70 plus percent of the players, uh, which makes the money, generates the money, are black people. Uh, it's also it's also ironic that the, the Houston continued to fire black coaches after one season. Um, and then when you couple with what they what the NFL was doing in 2018, 2019, when they were race norming, basically saying that black people or black people need less of black players need less of that $1 billion concussion settlement because concussions were not the reason their IQ was lower. It's because it's their starting point was lower. We had less intelligence because of our skin. So when you put it in that context, you already know what time it is, not just in Houston, but everywhere there's an NFL franchise because it is par for the course. This is a this is a league that told the players while Donald Trump was calling their mothers SOBs. Uh, we we watched this league not defend these players. We watched this league, Jerry Jones in Texas, so many other owners say if you take a knee, you will not longer play, you will no longer play football. And not understanding that if we no longer play football, all of us, then you don't have a league. So I, I I understand what they're saying about Lovey Smith and all of these uh whatever the atrocities that happen in Houston, but it happens all over the NFL at all 32 teams. And I'm telling you, it is absolutely disgusting. Let's think about it this way. When the NFL started talking about they were gonna work harder for hiring more black coaches, that's like saying we're gonna send Wiley Coyote to go pick up the road runner in an Uber. That's like saying we're gonna send a wolf to the hen house. Ain't nothing good gonna come out of that at all. And this is just a result of and the institutionalizing of racism in the NFL, which we should be used to. Yeah, true that, Mayor. And the black community and but the greater community at large, I mean, the burden should not always just fall on black people to make some crooked path straight, but straight, but we know when it comes to systemic racism, white supremacy, and anti-blackness, because be clear. That's what we're talking about, anti-blackness. The burden often falls totally, or at least 90% on black people to sound the alarm. And you know, the quote from uh, the quote from Bob McNair, I mean, this man up until a point, he was this was the man up until about four years ago who was making the decision, the hiring decisions. So wrap your mind around that. And the Texans are not alone, as the mayor laid out. Lovey Smith's firing once again just highlights the NFL's total bias. We have a whole system within the NFL that shows its bias and is not afraid to because there are no consequences for the bias to make the NFL change its behavior. They don't have to, strong bias against black coaches. And the Washington Post spoke with a number of these black coaches about it last year. Take a look at this. I do think the words genius, guru, quarterback whisperer are all phrases that they use to describe non-African-American coaches. It's as if we don't have the same IQ uh, intelligence level as, as some of our other brothers. You can go out and catch the ball, you can throw the ball, but can you, can you lead? I think that if owners would give black coaches more opportunities, not say that you have to keep a guy for eight years or 10 years, but you would if he won. You're a minority coach, you gotta win. If you are a minority coach, you have to win. There is no room for error. And we see this kind of a behavior 
towards African Americans. It spills into every aspect of life, social, political. It's not just in the sports arena, it is throughout the lives of a lot of black people experience this. But when you are a black coach in the NFL, it is absolutely an environment where so few African Americans get a chance to navigate. And the data does prove what the black coaches are saying. Let's take a look at that data. Overall, black coaches have won about 7.75 games per year, while white coaches win about 7.71 games every season. Yet the average tenure of a black head coach is 4.5 years more than a full season shorter than the tenure for a white head coach at 5.68 years. So we're seeing the win rate mayor among black coaches higher than that of their white peers, but yet they get less time on the job. So, you know, I quote Andrew Yang a lot, the math here is not mathing. Let's take this a little further. On average, a team led by an African American coach makes the playoffs nearly 40% of the time, while franchises led by white coaches reach the postseason a little more than 35% of the time. So now it begs the question, why? We gotta ask ourselves, why are black coaches treated differently? And why aren't there more black coaches in the NFL? We just heard some of those coaches in their own words, the belief or lack of belief that black coaches can lead. That same belief was held when it came to black men being able to be quarterbacks too for a very long time or pitchers in baseball. This kind of belief that we don't have the intellectual acumen to be in those types of positions. And it is still permeating these organizations, these institutions in the 21st century. And the folks at the GRIO went even deeper. Check out this breakdown of the percentage of black players versus the percentage of coaching hires since 1989. On one side, the race of the players, which the mayor already laid out, overwhelming majority, not a little bit, but overwhelming majority of the players within the NFL are black, 75%. Now we look at the coach hiring since 1989, not even going way, way back, just 1989, very recent history. And thank you, Michael at the GRIO for doing this. 81% of the coaches are white. It is the exact opposite of the players. Furthermore, yeah, we're gonna go a little deeper. 8% of the white men who lead teams over the last decade had never, and I mean never, underlined it, bolded, exclamation point, message in a bottle on a train, had never coached at any position in the NFL. Something that has never happened, never, never, ever, ever happened for a black coach. In fact, nine out of 10 white men who coached in the NFL never played in the league. Hello, somebody? While most of the NFL's black coaches were former players. Mayor, jump in on this. Uh, listen, you just did an articulation of what it means beyond football to be black in America. Like that, you first you started out talking about that extra shift, how, how black coaches, Win more, but still are hired less. They make it to the playoffs more, but but are fired faster. 
They have more experience because when you were an NFL player, you didn't just start in the NFL. You also played in college. You also played in high school. You probably also played in peewee, which means your entire life has been around this sport, which means your intelligence about this sport is way higher than those of us who do it casually. Yet and still, white people still get it. This is the this is the black American experience, not just in football, but in general. It is absolutely uh it is absolutely scary to me when people cannot say what it is. This is white supremacy in an institution. The, the institution of football has nothing to do with and, and it was so I mean, let me skip back for a second because it was disgusting when I heard when when you quoted what McNair said uh, about you can't let the inmates run the prison. When we know, you and I both know, and your viewers know, when they let us out of, in, when, we were, when we were no longer enslaved in this country, they created a prison system that could hold us. So when yeah. you start talking about your NFL team as the prison, because you're talking about the inmates, you're talking about the players, that means your, your team is a prison. That reminds me so much of what you're talking about. Bucks, overseers, and those who can't afford to be owners and leaders. And they, that sometimes in their minds is black more than not. There it is, man. Just the whole, for me, the whole notion of owners rubs me the wrong way because of our history in this country. That is what it is. I mean, we're not gonna change necessarily that, but to change people's behavior and how they see African-American players and what they bring to the table. I mean, you said it early on, without their black players, there would not be an NFL. And ultimately, nobody does it quite like those black players at all. And whether it's football, basketball, tennis, you name it, baby. When we enter it, we take it to a whole nother level, like into the stratosphere, doing things that people have never seen done before. Now, the Rooney Rule, which was implemented in 20, uh, 2003, which requires every NFL team to interview at least one minority, whoopty, freaking do, I had to catch myself, uh, one minority candidate for head coach, for head coaching and coordinator positions was supposed to address this issue. First of all, it's too little. I won't say it's too late, but it's too little. Just one, that's the Rooney, <laughs> give me a break. But obviously it has not made a difference whatsoever. First of all, it doesn't go deep enough. But in a league where 30 of the 32 owners are white, 30 of the 32 owners are white. So there is a class issue here. There's an economic issue here. There is a mathematics issue here. 30 of the 32 owners are white. There is indeed a major disconnect between ownership, players, and coaches. Now, Hall of Fame running back, Tillerson explained this disconnect and he explained it this way. I really think that there is a disconnect between the owners and the kind of culture that is black folks. Not understanding the way black folks communicate, the mannerisms, the expressions. It's different than someone who looks like them. We hear owners say all the time, "Oh, I connected with this white candidate because they reminded me of myself. If we can't get past the mindset which coaches who don't look like you or talk like you or come from the same background, then they'll never get a chance. In other words, can you speak my language? In other words, do you understand how I'm rolling? In other words, can you feel me? Ultimately, it comes down to that and it is very, very clear that they cannot feel these black players in any type of way that is of substance or the black coaches. And these white owners will gladly have black players put their lives on the line though. 
We saw what just happened to DeMar, DeMar Hamlin for fan entertainment in order to line their pockets. And that Skip Bayless still has a job, but y'all ran all up in Kyrie Irving. Hello, we doing the countdown here on Unboss. But give a black man the opportunity to be a head coach in the league, it really is just too much for them. Much too much. Man, we got to go to our next uh, segment. But if you want to say a few more words on this, we can revisit this thing right here. Yeah, I don't need the mansplaining. You did a wonderful job. They ain't filling okay. the black players. <laughs> okay. Woo, Lord, listen, I'm pulling, uh, it's, it's, it's time for this. Okay, it, it really is time for that. All right, going to the GOP official brags about being a racist. Oh yeah. Sadly, we're still in a dealing with racist elected officials because we're still in a racist America, anti-black, racist, white supremacist America that we're all trying to navigate. Check out this headline right here. Resignation demanded after Wisconsin GOP officials boast of suppressing black and Hispanic votes. I mean, they just doing this stuff in such an overt way. Why? because there are oftentimes very few consequences and repercussions for this kind of behavior. The racist official in question is Robert Spindle, a member of the Wisconsin Elections Commission. We are putting up the man's smug shot. That is it right there. Take a good look at him. Please do that for us. And here is what he wrote in an email to fellow Republicans in the district. In the city of Milwaukee, with the fourth congressional district Republican Party working very closely with the RPW, the RNC, the Republican Assembly and Senate campaign committees, statewide campaigns and RPMC in the black and Hispanic areas. We can be especially proud of the city of Milwaukee, 80.2% dem vote casting 37,000 less votes than cast in 2018 election with the major reduction happening in the overwhelmingly black and Hispanic areas. The man said we can take great pride, we can celebrate this decline. And by the way, Mr. Spindle is also a major endorser of fraud. Spindle is also a defendant in three separate pending lawsuits related to him serving as a fake GOP elector. One in federal court seeks 2.4 million in damages from Spindle and the other fake electors alleging that they were part of a conspiracy by Trump to overturn the election. And Spindle and the GOP's voter suppression plan included the following. Let's take a look at this. Biting black radio negative commercials run last few weeks of the election cycle straight at them candidates. A substantial and very effective Republican coordinated election integrity program resulting with a lot of Republican paid election judges and trained observers and extremely significant continued court litigation. Now the group, the group, 
black leaders organizing for communities were not shocked at all by this news. Why? Because they're dealing with this on a regular basis. And this is what they had to say about this situation. While this is incredibly disturbing, we are not surprised by this recent revelation of additional Republican tactics used for voter suppression. Many of us have been sounding the alarm about how sinister voter suppression tactics have become and Spindle's comments reinforce what we already knew. And that's coming from black leaders organizing for communities. And Mayor, I mean, we're using Wisconsin as an example, but none of this is new. Yeah, I mean, and the tragedy is, I think what happens is because everybody in America, for the most part, is struggling or living paycheck to paycheck and trying to survive for the most part, especially when you're talking about black people and people of color. Um, so we forget that Republicans aren't just waiting to election cycles to try to prevent you from going to the vote. But what was telling in his statement was he said something that was deafening for me. Let, let, let me let me rewind a little bit, give people a little bit of new history, but not old history. 2013, Republicans lost to a black man named Barack Obama. Um, and, and they were really torn up because Mitch McConnell said his main agenda was to make that man a one-term president. This is the first and only black president in this country, right? So after they lost, the Republican Party did an autopsy report. You remember that 2013? The first thing they said was they're isolating black voters because of their rigid policies and holding on to this historic, this history of racism. They're, they're siding too much with business or putting business over workers. Well, fast forward to 2023, that autopsy needs an autopsy. I think this Republican Party now has just said that autopsy does not know who we are or what we want to be. To send an email in this day and age to thousands of people bragging about suppressing votes shows you where we are. I hear so many times people say, oh, MAGA is about Trump. MAGA is not about Trump. MAGA is about America. Come on, man. Trump Trump was an idiot face that just gave people the strength to be who They've always been who their ancestors were. And now they, they're in eyes with Trump at times about Kevin McCarthy, about other issues, about the budget. They don't care about, these are not conservatives, these are racists. So when people say these conservatives, I got my problem with conservatives for sure, but these are racists. The Republican party is a racist party right now. To, yeah. to say that you care about democracy, the lie they told about defunding the police when we were screaming defund the police didn't mean nothing. Because they beat police across the head on January the 6th. Yeah, they did. They want to defund the FBI and Department of Justice. Those are the two largest police forces that I know of in this country. This is about white supremacy renaming itself in a space where it feels like it's losing its America because America is browning faster than they like. And the way they'll do it is we can't win your vote. We don't want your vote. We'll just prevent your vote. Disenfranchisement. You're not a citizen if you can't vote. And they're okay yeah. with that. No, man, they are. They're just going to change the rules of the game. Get get all the power and change the rules. That's exactly what they are doing. And these people need to be held accountable. I mean, there has to be some accountability for this type of behavior. And this is a reminder that we all must remain vigilant because the the vote really is one of the greatest equalizers that we have. It's one man, one woman, or one person, one vote. Most people are not going to run for office or hold elected office. So the one space that we have where we're all supposed to be equal in theory 
is the ballot box. But when you have elected officials who run for office for a living and who have the pure unadulterated gall to try to trample on other people's right to vote, we have a problem and we no longer have a representative democracy or in other words, represented by some folks as long as other voices are trampled upon. And here are some steps we wanna share with you as we close this segment about how to fight voter suppression. If you plan to vote by mail, request your ballot immediately. Host a virtual voting party to go through ballot measures. It's a shame that you would have to do something like this in 2023, but you do. Consider working at the polls. We need people who are committed to expanding and protecting access to the ballot box to consider doing a civic duty, which is working at the polls and make sure everyone in your household has a ride and a plan. And please, by all means, stay in line. On the government side, there's so much more that elected officials should be doing. It is really a tragedy that the John Lewis Voting Rights Act did not get passed during the last Congress. All the excuses in the world were made why that was not done as they were singing praises to this congressman who should be lifted up and he talked about making good trouble, but they sung all of his praises as he is not on this physical plane with us anymore, but they will not follow in his footsteps in terms of uplifting access to the ballot box for all people. That is what Congressman John Lewis fought for in his lifetime, along with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and people like Daisy Bates and Ella Baker and so many others of their contemporaries. But we have a Congress right now. We have too many elected officials on the state level of government who just absolutely do not give a damn, but we do. We care, and that's why we're gonna continue to push these issues. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the show. Again, MLK Day is fast approaching. It will be on Monday. You'll hear so many people quoting the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which is a beautiful thing. But if you are an elected official and you're not pushing policy, in the way that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King lived his life, then you got a problem. Just please don't even quote them. But so many of them are, and they're gonna get checked from time to time when I do find they behind on social media, I am gonna call them out. But here's a quote that I want to share. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, all the forms of inequality, injustice and healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. And you all know that we talk a lot about universal healthcare. You know that it's something that I am a champion of and for even to this day. And I will continue to be in partnership with those who are fighting to ensure that at some point in this country, we have universal health care. It is immoral, it is a shame, and we are the only nation, only industrialized nation on the face of the earth that does not have universal health care. So we're gonna throw that out there. We don't have a show on Monday because it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, but there will be some pre recordings for you to watch. So while you're chilling a little bit, just go ahead and go to YouTube and turn on Unboss. And then we're gonna have an MLK Day special. They called him Radical, a tribute to King. And you can tune in on Tuesday, January the 17th for our special. They called him Radical, a tribute to King, featuring Dr. Rashad Ritchie, our very own yours truly. 
myself, Ricky Smiley and Sharon Reed. It's sure to be a thought provoking and educational experience. So please watch, you can tune in on tyt.com slash live on YouTube, Facebook and Twitch. You don't want to miss that. And coming up, Galaxy Brain. Up next, Galaxy Brain with Ben at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on twitch.tv.tyt. You do not want to miss Ben. All right, here we go to the favorite, ultimate favorite part of the show. Our TYT members, Tall Glass. Hey, Tall Glass, I love Nina so much with three hearts. And of course, the fine mayor with three hearts. <laughs> we just just fine and fine on the show today. We appreciate that tall glass. Thank you so very much. And on Twitch, Marissa Matthews, Senator hey. <laughs> Marissa M and M. Senator, I'm obsessed with your frames. Slay. <laughs> Marissa, thank you, darling. Sending you so much love. Y'all snuck that in on me. And Marshall, Nina, and my favorite mayor. Let's go with exclamation points. We appreciate you so very much. And on YouTube, Super Chat, Progressive Boomer. Hey, Progressive Boomer, you better believe there's some Progressive Boomers out there. Nina, Nina, woohoo. <laughs> thank you, Progressive Boomer. And Brent, Mayor Dragon Beard, exclamation point. <laughs> Oh my God, Mayor! Is it? They have an obsession with that beard of yours. I, oh I, it's, my! <laughs> it's it's Santa Claus. That's all. It's Santa Claus. It's, it's Santa the holiday season still. The original Santa Claus. <laughs> there it is. Thank you all so much for watching us. Thank you for your support of Unboss. And thank you for your support of TYT Network. You are the reason we can do what we do and be independent in our coverage. We appreciate you so very much. We're gonna continue our conversation about voting. And the country is now learning that millions of dollars was poured into funding voter suppression, $5 million to be exact. The advocacy arm of the Heritage Foundation, the powerful conservative think tank based in Washington spent more than 5 million on lobbying in 2021 as it worked to block federal voting rights legislation. You heard me right. A block legislation and advance an ambitious plan to spread its far right agenda calling for aggressive voter suppression measures in battleground states. And this reporting is coming from the Guardian. We appreciate you Guardian for that. The 990 tax filing was obtained by the watchdog group documented. It points to the pivotal role that the Heritage Foundation played in trying to suppress and shape the rules within this democracy. The efforts helped explain the unprecedented tidal wave of restrictive voting laws that spread across Republican controlled states in the wake of 2020 presidential election. The Brennan Center reported that more voter suppression laws were passed in 2021 than in any year since it began monitoring voting legislation more than a decade ago. So again, if you're trying to check what century you are in, you're right, you're, you are in 2021, but the same tactics that were used in the 20th century, the 19th century and so on are still being used right now today. And what was the plan? Part of the Heritage Actions two year strategy is to promote 
what it calls model election laws as and put that in, in quotation marks, focusing initially on eight battleground states. In a private meeting with donors, the group's executive director boasted about the role Heritage Action had played in pressing Republican controlled legislatures to impose strict restrictions on voting, including limiting on limit, excuse me, on mail-in voting and early voting days. And Mayor, I remember this like it was yesterday when I was in the legislature at Ohio Senate. They were doing exactly the same thing that they are doing right now. Again, cheat. If they can't win straight up, they'll just change the rules of the game. You're muted, Mayor. Sorry about that. Oh, absolutely. We should we should also note that while it is important to note that this five million dollars was given directly for this effort, this is not the only money that was given. We see organizations like AT and T, Verizon. I'm gonna call them out by name: Philip Morris, Pfizer, General Motors, and Verizon and Walmart give more than fifty million dollars since 2015 to the legislators who were responsible for these state at these state legislature takeovers for these representative winning office. So when we when we hear people bragging about uh, Coca-Cola and and their stance against uh, the Republican legislatures in 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 Georgia, that is not a sign that all corporations are showing up in that manner. Because like I just said, 50 million dollars was spent on these legislators. So what 5 million dollars presented as legislation, that was 50 million dollars in backing over the past 7 8 years of these same people. They they're being paid uh, to do this, and while while AT and T and Verizon may say, "Well, we didn't know they were going to propose this legislation," you continue to fund them. That means by default, your silence makes you an, an an accessory of the fact. An accessory of the fact is you too are preventing Black people from having access to full citizenship. There it is, man. You really bring up a, a very important point that as we educate our communities and allies to our communities. We should make them very much aware that these corporations are engaged in this activity, even if it is one once removed. And once they realize that this is going on and who they're backing, they do have a choice to stop backing these people. So I, I really love that, Mayor. And furthermore, the group also spent nearly $500,000 on Georgia TV and digital ads during the MLB All-Star Game and spent at least $700,000 more on ads supporting the Georgia Bills passage. So they know exactly what they are doing. And check out this chart from a 2021 that shows states that introduced legislation to restrict voting rights and states with legislation introduced to restrict voting rights. And we see where the Republican controlled legislatures are, which is the overwhelming majority. We see Democratic controlled or divided government. So we have a problem. Voter suppression in all of its forms threatens our representative democracy. And we all should care about this. We just can't sit idly by and continue to let this kind of thing happen. And the Brennan Center, thank God for them, compiled a list of the voter suppression laws, five egregious voter suppression laws from 2021. We got Florida Senate Bill 90, Georgia Senate Bill 202, Iowa Senate File 413, Montana House Bill 176, and Texas SB1. There they are. They're not the only ones, but they are indeed the most egregious ones. We got to stay, come on, we got to stay. In a representative democracy, you cannot be on the sidelines. You got to be actively engaged because what is get what was given can indeed be taken away. These are 
you know, uh, poll taxes and all the other kinds of things that we studied before. It's just the 21st century version of it. So we can't sit back and be idle. The other side is not. We got to get to this. All right, get to it. Everybody has a role to play. Now, S SBF, as in Sam Bankman Free, refuses to take responsibility. Now, we all know about the FTX collapse by now and the criminality of Sam Bankman Free. Now he's doing what many white collar criminals do, trying to absolve himself of all wrong. Take a look at this headline, Sam Bankman-Fried launches a newsletter to defend himself. How wonderful is that to be of that kind of influence and affluence that you just gonna go ahead and start your own newsletter to shout out, Oh, I didn't do it. We won't waste your time with a lot about what this criminal said, but he posted this newsletter on the platform Substack and it did write, quote, I didn't steal funds and I certainly didn't stash billions away. Nearly all of my assets were and still are utilizable to backstop FTX customers. I have, for instance, offered to contribute nearly all of my personal shares in Robinhood to customers or 100% if the chapter 11 team would honor my D and O legal expense. I in indemnification. Now this is what this man's saying, as if he's some hero. You want to talk about rewriting history and audacity? It brings back the vibes of a certain someone. Take a look. And I want to say this to the television audience: I made my mistakes, but in all of my years of public life, I have never profited, never profited from public service. I've earned every cent, and in all of my years of public life. I have never obstructed justice. And I think too that I can say that in my years of public life, that I welcome this kind of examination because people have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Yeah, the people got to know. Now, while Sam Bankman Free is no elected official, he did dollop with a whole bunch of them, both Democrats and Republicans, giving all kinds of money, cash, baby, donations to these folks to run for office, including the current president of the United States. He he tiptoed through the tulips in this Ohio Congressional 11th District as well. He was all over the country. He gave a whole lot of dark money though to Republicans. Yes, this man did, because you know what? If you can buy elected officials, they will do your bidding. Mayor. Listen, listen, your interests become their interests when you give them money that they can gain interest off of, right? Come on. That's what I hear what you're saying, sis, and it ain't no lies to it. Because yes. why else would you give so much? Why else would they charge you $600,000 for a plate? Unless that plate was eaten off by Jesus, you can keep it because it ain't worth it. So <laughs> let me, let's, let's just say something because it's, it's something serious about this story. The disgusting, arrogant nature of being able to get out of prison on $250 million bail. $250 million bail. It crit- it criticizes the bail industry. It says this person has done something so egregious. But that's because he had the resources, we can let him go. We know people sitting in jail, in jail in Selma, Alabama right now for more than three years just because they can't pay $400. There it is. $400, this man stole over $12 billion from people. I think he 
And every every celebrity that went along with this scheme should all be held culpable because it is absolutely ridiculous. And it is also highlighting something that I'm super happy about, the problems with capitalism. It is nothing except a festering sore waiting to boil over. And this guy, SBF, and his dad, don't let his dad off the hook, is also mm. a festering sore. And people keep saying, why? People, every time I talk about SBF, I say you have to talk about his father because his father is a lawyer and his league advisor in, in his Almeida fund. And all of that is where that money went. So I'm telling people, pay attention, and I mean pay attention. Yeah, man, a lot of working class people lost almost everything because they were investing in this, what, to become wealthy. So they deceive people and there's a consequence to this. Man, let's put up this headline real quick about you saying, how did Sam Bankman Free make his $250 million bail? Yeah, how did he? Inquiring minds want to know, though Mr. Bankman Free was not required to pay $250 million, a large amount of the bond in this high profile case has raised questions about the federal bail process. This is the way the injustice system works. If you are wealthy, you're gonna do just fine. If you are poor, the system will try to crush you. Let's take a look at Khalif Broder and his family. Uh, were held hostage by the cash bail system because of $3,000, a point mayor that you were just making. Khalif Broder was held at Rikers without trial from 2010 to 2013 for allegedly stealing a backpack containing valuables. During his imprisonment, Broder was in solitary confinement for 700 flipping days. Two years after his release, he hung himself at the age of 22, two different systems. And there are many examples that we can give like this, but we're just gonna go ahead and park this one. We just want you to marinate on this one. Cause Sam Bankman Free gets to just tiptoe through the tulips. You got this 22 year old Khalid killed himself, just one of the countless examples that we can give you. And meanwhile, folks like Sam Bankman-Fried and Trump's former right-hand man, Alan Weisselberg, are gifted practical slaps on the wrist. Let's take a look at this. Weisselberg gets five months at Rikers. He will be out before the cherry blossoms bloom in Central Park. The man's, <laughs> Jesus. He committed tax fraud on behalf of the Trump Organization for 15 years, 15 years. So this is the racism and the classism of the injustice system itself. This is what people like myself and Mayor Robinson and others who are in this arena talk about all the time. You cannot pretend like you don't understand what is happening in this country and what has been happening since its inception. This is it. And there are ways that we can combat this, really. We need to elect elected officials who actually get it and will use their political power that was given to them by the people to actually change systems. So starting with the pretrial detention process, the bail project provides just some of the ways in which we can change the system. Let's put this up quickly, reimagining pretrial detention. In cash bail, freedom should be free. Pre-trial detention must be the rare limited exception. Return people to their communities and provide support. Treat people as people, not statistical risk, and ensure that progress outlasts us all. That's coming from the Bell Project, and that is really good. And we're not talking about the worst of the worst. We understand that there may be some circumstances and some people where that 
might not work, but the overwhelming majority of people finding creative ways to decrease recidivism, to keep people out of prison, to help them live a good life, to lift them, to not let the mistakes that they made be the total definition of their lives should be the path that we follow first instead of the other one. We coming right back. I feel the fire extinguisher coming up. Welcome back to the show, part two of my favorite part of the show. Again, we are uplifting the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Reverend or Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. during the show. As we all know or should know, Monday is the day that we as a nation observe that holiday. Shout out to Mrs. Coretta Scott King, who's not on this plane of existence with us, but it had not been for her relentless fight and pursuit, we would not have a Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day to begin with. So this is another quote from Dr. King, the ultimate measure of a man. I wanna throw a woman in there too. The ultimate measure of a person is not where he or she or they stand in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. And you can sub in he for whatever you want. This is what Dr. King says, so I'm saying it the way he said it. And it's all right the way he said it. Uh, we got some you know, ways that other people might wanna say it and that's fine, but that is true. It's not where you stand in times of convenience and comfort. It's, it, it is where you stand in times of challenge and controversy. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is so quotable and we are, just forever blessed that he walked the face of this earth. Now to member comments, stop dragging from TYT members, stop dragging. Unboss seats of power, the senator and the mayor. <laughs> I love that, I get it now. Unboss seats of power, the senator and the mayor. I get emotional watching this show because it is one of the few sources of hope I find anywhere nowadays. Thank you so much. The mayor and I are really grateful to what you just said, stop dragging. And understanding what you just said, the deepness of what you just said too, is not lost on us. And on Twitch, Omega, progressives have always had the sexiest policies. I know that's right, you better say that. Helping people and changing public policy is sexy as hell. Yes, it is. And on YouTube, Super, super Chat. Super chat, Jorgen, Nina, I love your smile. Thank you, Jorgen, I appreciate you. And again, sending love to each and every one of you because we would not be able to do what we do without you. We appreciate you so very much. So in this segment, the mayor and I are gonna take a deeper dive into the life and the legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, that could have been our whole show today. But as you can see from the stories we highlighted, it is yet just another reminder that we have so much work to do in these United States of America. And that is not to say that we have not come a mighty long way. We have come a mighty long way, but you can't rest on your laurels when you come a mighty long way. We still have a mighty long way to go. So we're gonna set the table for this segment with a book that was written by or edited by and introduced by none other than Dr. Cornell West. And the title of this book is the radical king and Dr. West really lays out in the introduction of this book. In a speech to staff in 1966, King explained, there must be a better distribution of wealth and maybe America must move towards a democratic socialism. That is coming from Dr. King and this is Dr. Cornell West setting this up, this type of radical King in the introduction of this book. And, and Dr. Cornell West goes on to say that if he had lived and pursued this project and the project he's referring to is 
is democratic socialism, the radical king would be well known. Dr. Cornel West is exactly right about that. Further, on April the 4th, 1968, in Memphis, the last day of his life, Martin Luther King Jr. phoned Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta with the title of his sermon. Now check it, check this out. If you ain't sitting down, you need to go ahead and sit down. This was the title of the sermon. Why America must uh, must must go to hell. I mean, that's it. That's it. I mean, Dr. King laid that out. If he had preached this sermon, according to Dr. Cornell West, the radical king would be well known. Also of note, Dr. King had a disapproval rating when he opposed the Vietnam War and his efforts to eradicate poverty made him one of the most hated men in the United States of America. 72% of whites and 55% of blacks. Yeah, 72% of whites and 55% of blacks hated or disapproved, let me use the word disapproved of Dr. King's opposition to the Vietnam War and his efforts to eradicate poverty in America. And Dr. King had a special response to his black critics, special for them. And he might dropped on this, he said the following, what you are saying may get you a foundation grant, but it won't get you into the kingdom of truth. Go ahead on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. landed on the line. He didn't let white leaders off either, but he had this special message for black leaders. And Mayor, I know for you in talking about like the latter years of Dr. King's life before he was assassinated is truly the radical King. Yeah, I mean, we see in King, first of all, let us let me not minimize uh, the passive King who, who saw, you know, that nonviolence was his path. I, I do think, though, you know, people people should understand that that is not a weak position to take. That isn't that is an extremely strong stance to be in and say that in the face of all of this, I refuse to be unbowed, but I also be refused to scoop to that level. However, me as a person who's never been passive about uh, how I respond to violence in any any form. Did see a change in King that was different than most uh, people, and I, I would I would say black folk that were part of the civil rights movement or the ending of of slavery that was different than most. Even though he didn't get to be young, he died at 39. We saw King become more radical, whereas we saw people like Frederick Douglass become more comfortable. Uh, the more notoriety he became a part of the Hayes administration and spoke against uh, some of the black radicals of his time. We saw King do something exactly different. Uh, King's conversations with Malcolm X that mostly went through other people that folk don't know about. Yeah, they met for one minute, one time in person, but there were letters from Malcolm X and King that, that, that shared the idea that King said, I think I might have led my people into the fight of a burning house. King said, King said, uh, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere, right? So people, people, if you dig deep into that, this is a this is a changing of King to understand that it is not just enough to sit at a bus stop or sit on a bus in the front seat or at a bus counter. We deserve everything that you deserve, and that is a radical, radical change that most folk won't understand, especially capitalists, until you start looking at when King came back from Oslo after accepting. His no, he became his Nobel Peace Prize, and when he he literally got off the plane and stood arms with union workers, the business owners in Atlanta began to attack King. 
They told other black leaders, King's so-called friends, that this is not the way to go. And they became angry at King. You just listed the statistics of how many people didn't support him. It was yeah. his own his own denomination, the black Baptist tradition was against King his last year living because of his 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 uh, his un un geopolitically meaning he didn't say okay America was enough. Black people all over the world are suffering. People all over the world are suffering because of white colonialism. And it's not enough that you can send black men to the jungles and burn somebody's some farmer's hut in Vietnam and make them link arms with a white man that will come back home and hit him in the back of the head, but not calling him sir. Or looking at him in the eyes, or standing on the same sidewalk, or competing for the same job. So King, like you said, had, had he lived longer, would have been probably what we scream about as uh, the face of progressivism from the 50s and 60s. I, I, I love the latter years of King because it reminds me so much of where Malcolm X was going. Malcolm X told uh, Dr. King's wife when, and King was, King said this. He told my wife when I was in Birmingham when Mal- when Malcolm went to Selma, talking about Coretta. That, hey, I think I can do more help for King if I continue to criticize him and yeah. talk with fire because I, I offer a, a, an alternative that white people didn't want to deal with, which means King can get more done for black people. And King That's- absolutely knew that space and welcomed that space, which is why he showed up in a way for King, uh, Dr. Uh, Malcolm X, I should say, uh, his wife at the end of her life. So, uh, yeah, man, well, not at the end of her life, but after her husband left. So yeah. King, I have a respect for King as, as an older man that I didn't when I was younger. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Mary. And there's always more that we can learn. And I want to correct something that sermon that Dr. King would have, the title of it was Why America May Go to Hell. Same premise though, he's really critiquing this country and, and, and its sins in a way that is very strong. He didn't mince words and the Hoover files, the FBI, you name it. So the mayor and I can continue and continue. We will have to come back to this because we don't have to just wait for MLK Day to talk about this incredible life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I want to close with this quote. What is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive. And that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it best. So we're sending you all kinds of love and lifting you up. Hopefully you will do something productive and do some reflecting on this Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. You know what I all want you to do about this time. I want you to definitely keep the faith. And I also want you to keep the fight. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.